Welcome to PwC IFRS Talks, your source of all things IFRS, technical accounting matters, business issues, current standard setting and regulatory updates. I'm your host, Ruth Preedy. In today's episode, we continue with COVID-19 and specifically we're looking at post-balance sheet events um, and the things you need to consider. So we're looking into IS10 and I'm joined. Welcome back again. We've got the lovely Gary Berkowitz. Welcome back. Hi, Ruth. Thanks. Good to be back. Well, at least when I say back, still in my home, but talking to you. <laughs> Virtual back. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's start at the 31st of December. Um, I think you can correct me if I'm wrong, Gary, but the general, I'd say the general picture was that COVID-19 was a non-adjusting event for year ends 31st of December 2019. We're now coming in, I won't reveal the exact date because who knows when this will go out, but we're early in 2020. What are you doing if you've got a year end in, say, January, February, March, or even your quarters? Thanks, Ruth. And that's probably a, a good place to start because I think the impact of, of COVID-19 has been an evolving situation since since late 2019. And so if you think about it, as you said, in December 2019, we probably would have said that it's not really a, a significant event that you should take into account in the measurement of your assets or liabilities. However, since then, we've seen you know both the impact and the available information has actually changed. So if you think in in late, uh, sometime in January, the World Health Organization declared a global health emergency related to COVID-19. And sometime in March, um, the World Health Organization actually declared COVID-19 as a, as a global pandemic. So information has changed and it's actually changed quite rapidly. And so if you think about it, you've almost got a spectrum where you've kind of got entities at 31 December 2019 probably were saying not so much post balance sheet events, but at that point in time, there was not the existence of COVID-19 as a significant event that would impact the measurement of your assets or liabilities. You fast forward to an entity with a 31 March uh, 2020 reporting date, and they would probably say that at that point in time, most likely it is a condition that exists at the balance sheet date that will have a material impact on the measurement of your assets and liabilities. And then you've probably got the more tricky situations where you've got entities that have a financial reporting period of maybe January or February. And, and for those, we probably say judgment is required to determine whether you know, the condition COVID-19 exists at the reporting date and is material and hence should be incorporated into the measurement of your assets and liabilities at that reporting date. So you said their judgments required, always hard when there's judgment involved. Are there any factors or indicators for those people that do have period ends in January and February to help them make that judgment? Nope. So you must just make your judgment. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to go, what? <laughs> so it's never, it never, <laughs> never, never helpful if you just say there's a judgment. So we, we have thought a little bit more about this. And um, I think we probably say the things you may want to consider or take into account when, you, when you're making that judgment would be you know, where in the spectrum you are, so what your reporting date is. So as I said, you know, it's it's if you're a 31 uh, March 2020 reporting date, very likely you'll be taking it into account. December 2019, no. And I think if you're in, you know, January, you're closer to that December timeline. And if you're a February reporter, you're closer to the March timeline. So again, what is your actual reporting date is one of the things you may want to consider. I think the other other things folks may want to think about is the territory that you operate in. So, for example, you know, entities that operate in China would probably considered uh, COVID-19 to be materially impacting the measurement of the assets and liabilities earlier than, than entities that operate in territories where the spread of the virus occurred later. You may want to also consider the, the industry that you operate in. So folks 
obviously all aware that certain industries were impacted a lot sooner than others. So um, tourism, airlines impacted a little, you know far earlier than others. So again, that it's likely will be impacted earlier than than entities and other uh, industries. And other more general considerations like the entity's customer base and their, their supply chains and, and potential disruptions to those supply chains. So a couple of factors to think about. But as I say, I think there's there's a judgment uh, definitely for, for January and February entities and, and probably not, not, no one size fits all. Okay, perfect. <laughs> I honestly did think that you were going to say no. Oh, I had the giggles in the background, sorry. Okay, so once people have made that judgment using the factors and indicators we just talked about, really the judgment you're making is, has there been an impact of COVID-19? Then obviously in the post-balance sheet period, then you might get lots of additional information. How do you decide what you should adjust for with that additional information? Yeah, so now we get to, I guess, the heart or the crux of this uh, this podcast, which is how you, as you said, Ruth, how you consider new information that may come to light after your reporting reporting data, after your balance sheet date for those old school people uh, like me, still call it a balance sheet. Uh, and I think there, what's actually quite important is we've we've made a a distinction between assets or measurements that are have a fair value as their as their measurement base versus uh, assets and liabilities that don't have fair value as their measurement base, because I think we've, we at least think there's subtle differences between those requirements for fair value and non-fair value, and also the interaction of those those measurement bases with, with IS-10, our standard on, on information uh, that you obtain after a reporting date. So maybe if I start with fair value measures, and then we can, we can think about non-fair value measures. So an, a number of assets are measured at, at fair value, not just financial assets, but many financial assets. But also, if you think of you know investment, some investment properties also measured at, at fair value, and agriculture as well. In a lot of cases, and I think what's important is fair value measurement is is based on information that's available at the date of measurement. That's kind of ex- what IFRS 13 tells us, and that an entity should not make any adjustments for events after the reporting period for fair value measures that are really observable at the reporting period date, because the idea is fair value incorporates all that uncertainty and a market participant has built that into their measure. And so any fair values that are based on level one inputs, so that's directly observable as a, a listed market price that you've got for your asset, or level two inputs, which folks may recall is you've obtained all of the inputs that you've used to determine your fair value, and those are observable inputs, but you've then done your own calculation, but all of those inputs were actually observable. We don't think any that entities should make any adjustments to those fair values because it already incorporates all of the information that a market participant would have considered at the at the date of measurement. Now, when you get to, to level three inputs, that's maybe where there's a little bit more, more latitude for interpretation because folks will recall level three inputs are inputs that are unobservable, but they're inputs that go into a fair value measure. And there, I think, you know, the, the important thing is that the measurement objective is still the same. You're trying to kind of uh, estimate what a market participant, hypothetical market participant, would pay you to, to, for their assets um, at the balance sheet date, or what you would have to pay a market participant to take a liability over. So therefore, level three or unobservable inputs, you're trying to reflect the assumptions that this hypothetical market participant would use when they're pricing the asset um, or the liability, um, including any assumptions about risk. So how does that interact with our post-balance sheet event discussion? Well, you know, an entity's own data should therefore be adjusted if 
reasonably available information that you have after the balance sheet date indicates that other market participants actually would have used different level three inputs at the reporting period. So if that's the case, you know, then an entity should revise those fair value estimates if reasonably available information indicates that this hypothetical market participant actually would have used different data at the reporting uh, date. And, and, and so maybe just a couple, of, a couple of really important takeaways then with respect to this, uh, this point is that there's going to be a judgment, we think, as to whether or not the probabilities or assumptions actually reflect market participant assumptions taking into account what occurs after year end. And I think the second important point to take away here is you cannot use hindsight to true up to an actual outcome because a market participant, as, as smart as the market is, they would not have, have had a crystal ball and known exactly what was going to happen. So although you might be able to update your probabilities in some cases, you wouldn't be able to update to, to actuals when you're looking at a fair value uh, measure. Maybe if I can just use an example, which will maybe maybe try and bring a lot of what I've been what I've been saying to light. So, if you assume an entity has a, a 31 March reporting date, and let's assume they'd not anticipated at all uh, a material government relief program as one of the possible scenarios in a in a discounted cash flow model, which incorporates level three unobservable inputs. Now, at the end of the reporting period, so in the post balance sheet events period. Um, the government does actually provide a material relief program. As I said then, there's a judgment that management would need to apply to consider based on all the facts and, and, and the government programs in other territories and what was publicly available, they need to determine whether a hypothetical market participant would likely have incorporated some expectation of a government relief program into its estimate of the discounted cash flow models. Now, now, I think what's important, as I said, and sorry to stress it, but the fact that the government provided the relief program does not in itself mean that a market participant automatically would have included this. As I said, there's a judgment there and you need to look at all the facts to determine was it reasonable to assume that a, that a market participant would have included that expectation of a government relief program. And the other point to reiterate that I made before is that the entity can't use hindsight and give this scenario 100% weighting. Instead, what they're trying to estimate is the likelihood of a government relief pr program being implemented consistent with what a market participant would have assumed at the reporting date. If only we had a crystal ball and could use <laughs> hindsight, <laughs> it would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so lots there for people to think about. Thank you for the example. I thought that brought that to life. What about if you've got something that is not measured at a fair value? So we have lots of assets that aren't measured at fair value. Yeah, so hopefully I don't get into trouble with the fair value police for for kind of the we're doing one on fair value. I was yeah, going to okay, stop so, you. <laughs> yeah, so, so hopefully what I said is still going to be consistent with the fair value theory. So so moving to where I'm far more comfortable talking about non fair value um, measures, and I think there, as you say, is we've got a again a number of assets that are that are measured on a non fair value basis, and we're normally thinking about need to uh, test them for impairment. So most common examples that spring to mind might be your, your value and use calculation under IS-36 or a net realizable value determination for inventories under IS-2. Now, again, you might have a situation where we're assuming that, you know, we're a March year-end entity and you decided you need to incorporate the impact of, of COVID-19 into the measure of your assets that are measured at something other than fair value. And I think, again, there's a judgment and, you know, the entity is going to need to determine whether developments that happen in that post-balance sheet reporting period provide management 
with better information about conditions or a condition that already existed at the balance sheet date. That's our principle in IS-10. And as I said, I think that's probably going to require a, a judgment and an analysis of, of all the facts and circumstances to distinguish between what might be adjusting and non-adjusting. And I think what's important there is, is you probably have the ability to adjust for those events that occur after the reporting date to the event that they are material developments and they provide you with better information relating to reasonably expected impacts of COVID-19 that existed at the, at the reporting date. Uh, and I'll, I'll explain a bit more why I, why I say that, because if you if it's a kind of a, a complete unicorn event that you didn't expect at all, it's likely that that is a discrete event and that is something that is therefore non-adjusting. However, if it's something that you had already incorporated as saying, look, there's a, there's a good chance or there's a probability that this is going to occur, and you identify the, the event that, um, that exists at the reporting date as the emergence of COVID-19 as a global pandemic, it may be that in your judgment, you can say, well, this event that's now occurred after your end is actually, or this development is giving me more information about the condition being the impact of COVID-19 that actually exists at the reporting date. So I think what's important here is that we're not saying you need to adjust for absolutely everything that occurs. And I think, you know, for example, the continuation of a previously observed trend doesn't usually warrant further adjustments because that trend is probably already incorporated sufficiently into your, your impairment calculations or your assessment of, of net realizable value. However, if you've got material developments that occur during your post-balance sheet event period that provide you with better information about the impact of COVID-19 on your business or on the recoverability of assets, you know, that might require management's assumptions to be updated in their assessment of their net realizable value or impairment calculations. Perfect. Thank you. So I could just leave you talking all day, Gary. Don't need me on this podcast. You know, <laughs> I can tell you've been talking about this a lot. <laughs> well, I've, I've had a lot of time to myself cooped up in my study at home. So. <laughs> I just love talking about IS10. Okay, so let's move on because I don't want to delay hearing more goodies. One other thing we should think about in the post-balance sheet period is what if you um, make an assessment or an entity makes an assessment that actually they're no longer a going concern? That's actually a great question because I think everything I've been saying here is should be caveated with 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 the going concern assumption and and the the very clear requirement we have in IS1 that regardless of how you think of adjusting or non-adjusting post balance sheet events the going concern assumption or changes to the going concern assumption are always considered to be adjusting events so you know it doesn't matter when the event occurs or what that event is or how unexpected or expected it may have been to the extent that it that it either provides you uh, hopefully more positive expectations around going concern but similarly if it has a negative impact on your assessment of the going concern assumption all of that needs to be updated and taken into account um, in making the going concern assumption so that's that's the one thing to kind of i think I guess point out, but I think the other is in this in this situation that we're in of, of a huge amount of uncertainty. Even if you decide that you are a going concern, if there may have been some material uncertainties related to that, you might still be required to provide disclosure related to that. And that's our typical, you know, non even if it's a non-adjusting event, you may still want to provide disclosures to the extent that they are relevant to, to users' understanding of your assumption related to going concern. And that's perfect. That brings us on to the last question we've got, which is where I will say any closing remarks or any other useful tips. And if you don't say disclosure, well, you're not in line with every other podcast we've done, Gary, so you better say disclosure. <laughs> but okay. what else do people need to think about? Uh, 
yeah. Uh, well, finding a good Just book <laughs> might be a good start. <laughs> As I say, it's it's uh, been been a while, been a while of, all, all on my own. So a good book, a good movie. Looking at you know those top ten movies, but I think more seriously, Ruth. Yeah, I was going to say um, disclosure would probably be again front and center. Remember that even if you decide that events after the reporting date are non-adjusting, uh, there's still a requirement to disclose those non-adjusting events to the extent that they have a significant or material impact on the measurement or recoverability of, a, of your assets. So I think, you know, there's the general disclosure requirements that we've been talking about throughout this podcast series, but I think specifically to IS-10, the requirement that even if something's non-adjusting, if it's significant, you, you need to disclose those, those events. And I think in the context of interims and how quickly things are changing, that disclosure will probably be more voluminous than it's been um, probably in, in as far back as folks can remember. And maybe one other small point to, to remember is just that, you know, we've been talking a lot about adjusting events and measurement, but, you know, one shouldn't forget that from a recognition perspective, you know, most of the time uh, post, post balance sheet events are going to be uh, non-adjusting from a recognition perspective. So, you know, IS 37 springs to mind there, our standard on, on liabilities and, and restructuring. So a lot of entities are thinking about restructurings, um, thinking about, unfortunately, re redundancy plans with respect to employees. And I think what's important to remember is don't book a liability until you have a present obligation, regardless of how, how likely that might be. So just uh, just bear that in mind as well. Perfect. Great final tips there, Gary. Thank you so much for taking us through that. I know we've had lots of questions in this area coming up. Um, if you have enjoyed listening, but would prefer to read about it as well, we also have some frequently asked questions on PwC Inform, which is in our COVID-19 in-depth. So please look there. Thank you for joining us, Gary. Come again soon. Um, and to our listeners, thanks for listening and stay safe. The preceding programme was brought to you by PricewaterhouseCoopers LLP. This content is for general information purposes and is not a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.